It's like a void of black. There's a portal open here. Let's talk about some spooky shit. Greetings, spooky bitches. You're back with Savannah, Jerrica, and Birdie. Welcome back to Violent Delights. What's up, spooky bitches? Hey, spooky What's bitches. What's up? It's been a while. It has been a long while. while. Yep. Yeah. I hope everyone's holding up during COVID. COVID? Yeah. COVID. <laughs> I think there was an episode where it was before all the shutdowns where we were kind of joking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then here we are. How many months later? God, I know. still in it. And good old Texas is leading the race to drop us down again into lockdown. So hopefully we'll be able to keep recording. I know. I'm just really sad that we're going to probably miss out on summer. But we'll have to make our own summer. I just, as long as we don't miss Halloween. (gasps) Yeah. Mm Because it's like on a full moon. It's on a weekend. I think it's daylight savings time too. So we get an extra hour. Um, I feel like you need to tell our audience what you were going to be for Halloween, (laughs) Brady. So I'm going to be a sexy version of something unsexy. Yes. Um, Well, what is generally considered unsexy. I don't know. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to be a sexy Guy Fieri. Nice. Oh, nice. My yeah. Love With, like, it. Fishnets and Crocs. Please and, like, tell me you're going to get like high heel Crocs. <laughs> fishnets if I can and Crocs. find them. If not, I do have a pair of like sparkly Crocs I can wear. Oh, yeah, those nice. Ones. Yeah. I love, I love it. Them. But like, I want like like booty shorts and then like a long flame shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have like a running list of stuff to um, to look into to fit this so the same. Um, Sexy, uh, theme, yeah. yeah. So one of them was a uh, sexy Nancy Grace. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Um, because I don't think that woman's ever been sexy mommy. In her life. <laughs> I hate the way she says that. What was it uh, pop mom? Oh my god, pop mom. Oh, she's oh. a character. Yeah, sexy Doctor Phil. I know that was. The oh yes. oh sexy yes, Dr. that's a good Phil. one. Helga um, from um, Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold. <laughs> oh yes, and Miss Trunchbull too. From oh yes. Uh-huh, that one would a be one. a good one. Yeah. All right. So, you guys, are you guys ready to get started with this week's episode? Our topic is ooh, aliens. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. We've kind of been tossing this one around for a while, but um, I'm glad we get to finally make it happen. Yeah. Let's Thank talk you. about some unidentified flying objects. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's she going with this? <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) That's that's where it ended. So, um, Jerrica, why don't you lead the pack with this one? Cool. All right. So, my topic is aliens through history. And so, I really couldn't find any specific abduction or sighting because I went into a wormhole on Reddit. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of different stories. And you never know if it's true or if it just sounds really cool. Right. Um, so then I ended up stumbling into this topic. So some of the sources I used were Cosmos Magazine and PopularScience.com. So history shows that the ways that we imagine interplanetary communication is driven by contemporary technology. So basically, we only think about it through the lens of what we have right now. We can't really think beyond what we have. We're not like thinking ahead in the future, we'll have this technology. Obviously, right. you kind of think of what... Like, people in the 50s couldn't have ever possibly thought of the internet. Correct. Right. And so, 1974 is usually widely seen as the first intentional message, but I found that 
there was actually a record of approximately 2,000 years prior to that, ancient Greeks argued over the existence of life on other planets, which I was like, holy shit, that's really cool to think about. So then that, that's why I was like, I'm, this is where I'm going with this. Because I tried to look for other in foreign countries of things that like happened in foreign countries and maybe there's like weird you know like we have the Bermuda Triangle and right. stuff like mm-hmm. that so people are just kind of I wanted to see basically or not the what was I saying I said Bermuda Triangle I meant Bridgewater Triangle I was like wait what's that Bermuda? the Bridgewater oh we're doing an episode on okay, that okay good right. oh, I've never I heard of it oh my god are you serious but I was, I was obsessed <gasps> with the Bermuda Triangle yes are you kidding and there's a documentary oh we're watching that girls weekend we're watching the Bridgewater okay. <laughs> okay. okay that's complete tangent holy shit okay. but are you serious you've no, never heard in. of the Bridgewater never oh in. my god this is gonna be great <gasps> okay well we're definitely doing that hold episode. on I'm texting that to our group too okay. sorry you can go ahead okay but yeah so approximately 2,000 years prior to what we think is the first intentional message there was actually Actually, philosophers and astronomers and statisticians and mathematicians and the ancient Greeks thinking up ways to kind of talk to people on other planets. So I thought that was really cool. But the idea took off after the Copernican Revolution. So there's a lot of these terms. I was like, I don't know what this means. So then I would end up in another wormhole. I was like, I don't know what this means. So then I would end up in another wormhole. So I didn't know who Copernicus was. I, like, vaguely remember things that popped up in history and, Mm -hmm. like, different things. Um, So I looked that up. So Copernican Revolution is where there's, like, a geocentric idea. So Earth-centered is really what that geocentric means. So there was a shift from Earth-centered, non-moving model of the universe with stars and the moon and the planets in, like, a a ring around the Earth. And the Mm -hmm. Earth was too big to move. That was like the like original thought. So from that point, that moved into a more heliocentric or sun-centered where the stars are moving and the planets or etc are moving around and not what's considered a ring, but in, they move in ellipses where they can change speed so then some who are closer are brighter, some more further away are dimmer, yada yada yada. So again, the original thought was The earth was way too big and everything kind of moved in a very organized fashion. So then, in their mind, when it moved sort into the sun-centered, the reason why it was centered, the earth obviously was the center of everything because we're fucking narcissists. Who who would have thought? But so we, we only are thinking of ourselves. And, you know, again, back in the old days, spirituality, you know, everything was like heaven and hell. So it was like the heavens were beyond us the only thing around us is the heavens, right? And so Galileo, Kepler, and others who were pioneers of, the, of taking this Copernicus idea and then running with it, but they had to be sensitive to, obviously, what was the big thing at that point, the church. So they had to kind of be sensitive to the thought of, you know, people would only think of the heavens. So like I said, Galileo, Kepler, and other like astronomers and things took these ideas and considered that we could talk to other inhabitants on other planets and they're thinking of what's term that's called plurality of worlds. So sounds epic, right? There's this, all this shit. I was like, this is really cool to think about because again, like we always think of like aliens as like being beyond us and like more intelligent right. and they have, all, everything's always futuristic. But the idea that like, and these astronomers and all these things from ancient Greek, thinking of them, think of what in the future to them. So then kind of stumbling across kind of what they thought and like how they thought to like communicate. So I'm going to go into a couple different details of like things that they came into. So there was no discussion on how to locate or contact these aliens. And again, no one really used alien in the any of the sources I used. They used 
like various terms. So I I got the idea that there's not really a term that the ancient Greeks were going by. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably just kind of what they assumed they meant by these things, right? Because right? there was like inhabitants. Planet. There's like aliens, and I obviously I'm sure there wasn't a term like alien mm-hmm. for yeah. a good while, but yeah. So I think that's just kind of I. That's why I kind of stumbled across that. But there's no discussion on how to locate or contact them until more than a century later. So as early as the 19th century, inventors imagined a sky telegraph equipment to communicate with inhabitants of the solar system planets. So then I go into like a little breakdown of history, but it's more so just kind of listing all the different ways. So in the 1820s, Goss, who is a German mathematician, thought the idea of reflecting sunlight towards planets to create this geoshape that would be seen from outer space. So that was the, his okay. way of meaning to communicate beyond... So like that scene in The Mummy with mirrors. Right. And <laughs> I was thinking, I was like... From the way that it was described, it sounds like it was just some sort of beacon, almost like a, we think of like crop circles, you know, okay. where it's like something very clear has been brought in, or he had talked about like um, creating in like a field and like planting wheat. So it's like a color thing. And so when the light hits the contrast of like the gold or the white huh. wheat with the green grass, right? I was like, shit, that's that man weird. is a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> and this and is I in fucking 1820, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm very. They were also inept. probably really bored though, so True. they had they more didn't time. have cat videos. <laughs> TikTok. Oh my gosh. All right, and so then 1840s, Von Latro is an astronomer, had an idea to pour kerosene into a 30 kilometer circular canal that was lit at night to be a beacon signal. Hmm, nope. What? <laughs> I was like, what? Nope. So then just lighting this damn thing on fire, I guess, every night. Would be a waste. So much pollution. Right. Then 1869, Cross, who is a French inventor, proposed sending coded messages by flashing beams of light using a parabolic mirror to focus the light from electric lamps to Mars and to Venus. It didn't really say why, though, specifically. I'm assuming it's like in diagrams or something. They probably thought, like, this is Mars, this is Venus. Those are the only ones we know for sure. Like, right. You know what I mean? Or maybe they're like closest in their minds, whatever they thought. Using a mirror to focus this light from these lamps to send these like directed, pointed be- beams of light at planets. 1896. Galton, as a British statistician, considered a light base almost Morse code. And I say Morse code because it wasn't invented at that point yet, but Morse code. Didn't assume Martians would have the same base 10 counting system, which I thought was really cool that a statistician obviously is thinking numbers. Mm -hmm. So then they're like, okay, so I'm going to create this pattern and not assume that they are on a base 10 counting system. (laughs) And I laughed because the reason was probably that... Martians didn't have ten fingers. So I was like, oh, that's, that's really so smart. Right? I was I like, didn't even think about that's that. pretty cool. Okay, so then a couple years later, someone named Mercier, I think is how you say it. Yep. Um, several <laughs> <laughs> several reflectors put on Eiffel Tower that could direct sunlight towards Mars. And then um, considered also that the moon is like a giant screen to project these light beams. So what? like these are two imagine? ideas. Right. And also if if they got really high and decided one night to like project a movie on there, I'm just saying. I mean not they be... weren't super far off. Right. And that's why I was like, like I was actually I mean some of these so obviously annoying. are off the wall, but then you're like, I mean, I wouldn't have thought an yeah. ancient Greek would be thinking like that. Like, <laughs> right. That's pretty cool. 
Like, I would assume they thought the moon was going to eat them. Right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because when you think of Greek, at least when I do, like, of ancient Greece and shit, I think of, like, statues and stuff, so Mm -hmm. I'm just, like, in my mind, I'm like, did they have books? Yeah. Yeah. Are there books on stone? Yeah, the focus is more, I think, on, like, their art, and then, of course, their battle. Okay. Oh, that too. (laughs) They banged a lot, let's just be honest. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I guess... That's a, nope, we're not even diving into that one. And moving on. (laughs) So, um, today, radio is seen as the most efficient means of communicating. Why do you think radio waves? Hmm. Because they travel into space. Yeah. That's probably a dumb answer. No, (laughs) that's that's it? Yeah, wow. Wow. I was just, like, mind blown. Okay. I'm really impressed. (laughs) Um, yeah, so... They're less affected by cosmic dust than visible light. So ah, basically, okay. they can travel further, like, less polluted. So it's not until 1959, radio-based SETI, which is searching for extraterrestrial intelligence, is taken serious. So scientists, astronomers showed radio was capable of transmitting signals across like like light years away so if we can do it in their minds like if we can figure it out most likely there's a way that aliens are probably figuring out how to transmit these radio signals as well so then in 1974 frank drake used three a 300 meter reflector dish known as the arecibo observatory in Puerto Rico is the largest single dish radio telescope and most powerful radio radar. So it create it sent the first successful message through CETI signal, which is communicating with extraterrestrial intelligence. Ooh, but yeah, yeah, so 1974 was like the first like message, and it said like with they'd never received obviously a message back. Do you like, know what, what the did message? Say? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not even sure. It didn't Hi. really go into it. It just <laughs> said it sent the first like. I know at some point we sent out like the Beatles. Oh, yeah. I think I remember hearing that. Yeah, we sent out a Beatles song. Yeah, so that's why I was really curious, because, like, really, that's the last, or at at least, like, most efficient and, like, recorded and, like, directed. Interesting. We never never got anything back. Never got anything back. Mm -hmm. At least, um, maybe we have, but we just don't know how to process it. That's what I was, like, I was thinking about, too, because, like, you know, there's other theories that are out there that we're basically, like... In a fishbowl, you know, mm-hmm. we're like the alien split thing. Like we, there was a theory that we are ostracized because we can't. Yeah, basically Alabama. Can't, we can't be fucking trusted. Like no, can't, can't get which, together. You know, if it were more relevant right now, we fucking can't be trusted. Can no. I tell you all my three favorite theories that I've heard over the years? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. So my first favorite theory comes from South Park, and it's that <laughs> our planet is made up of a bunch of different aliens. We've yeah. basically just been plopped here together to see how we interact. <laughs> um, terribly. Yeah. Apparently. My second favorite came from an old coworker, and he said that humans just kind of evolved by mistake and that this isn't really a planet created for humans. It's a planet for cephalopods, like octopus. <laughs> and oh, that, yes. Because octopi are like, they keep evolving and they're getting smarter and smarter and smarter. Yeah, they're and fucking, that eventually will die off octopi. and they'll evolve to their final. Oh, shit. Yep, that one's good. That one makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Truthfully. And then the third one is that the time between technology advancement and the time a planet self-destructs is, like, so minute when you think of, like, the span of history that by the time one planet develops 
the technology to contact another one, mm-hmm. that planet has already self-destructed. Oh, really? Shit. That's yeah. interesting to you. Yeah. All, all very valid. Yeah. Yeah. You know? My favorite's the, the octopus one. Yeah. 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 Those are my three favorite. I think octopus are fucking aliens, so I believe it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're, They're terrifying. All right. So that's my story. And uh, now it's, uh, let's hear from Savannah. What you got, girl? All right, you guys. So today I wanted to cover Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, shit. Um, there is so much to unpack with Skinwalker Ranch, so I'm only going to basically just, like, touch the surface. Yeah, yeah we and should then, definitely do a, like, super in-depth episode. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm really just going to cover UFOs on Skinwalker Ranch. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So UFOs, wormholes, cryptids, cattle mutilations, and poltergeist are all part of the remote property in northern Utah, which has been described as just a melting pot of paranormal and unexplained incidents. Apparently, which I did not know this, <laughs> Utah is considered one of the more active hotspots on the planet for paranormal and the supernatural. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> really? I that one sh- I was like, what? Utah? I mean, yeah. Like, if, if you're going to set up a religion where There's everybody looks there. the same. That's true. Mormons. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I there are unexplained lights in the sky to odd humanoid figures. Something like Bigfoot have all been spotted around this region. They say three to three out of four people in this part of the state have experienced something out of the ordinary. So, Skinwalker Ranch is a 480-acre ranch located... Sure. Yeah, huge-ass ranch. (laughs) Located about 100 miles due east of Salt Lake City. Many consider this the epicenter of the strange activity that happens in Utah. Yes, that's a (laughs) huge-ass fucking area. It is. I really don't have anything against it. And I mean, the landscape has a lot of different things on it. So some parts of it are pretty dry Mm -hmm. um, and don't have a lot of, like, plants or vegetation. Some parts are really woody and have a lot of vegetation. There are some, like, running rivers or creeks going through it. So it's got a little bit of everything sprinkled in there. gorgeous. It is. It's the prettiest state, in my opinion. It is. It's really pretty. So it is a 480-acre ranch located about 100 miles east of Salt Lake City. It is believed to be cursed by the Navajo. Here is a direct quote from my source, by the way, which was Bedtime Stories on YouTube. Tribe members were and still are forbidden from setting foot on this land as they believe it to be in the path of the skinwalker. If that's not creepy, I don't know what is. An anonymous family owned the property for most of the last half of the 20th century. They abruptly and inexplicably vacated the property in 1987 leaving it completely unattended for seven years. In 1994, it was purchased by Terry and Gwen Sherman, and they had two children. He purchased the land for an extremely lower rate than what it was worth. Um, that's a red flag. I mean, am I right? Every horror movie starts off with, how did you get this house so cheap? Yeah. Somebody died here? Everything from The Conjuring. Nope. Every (laughs) house. So Terry was a cattle breeder and thought that the ranch was a perfect size and space, and it provided enough privacy and security to build his cattle breeding business. So the first sign that something strange was happening on this land was the house on the property. The house was intended for the ranch's family to live in, also known as like the homestead of the property. They knew that it had been abandoned for several years and that the house would likely need several repairs if it was even repairable at all. There were large amounts of deadbolts securing the home, not only in the front and back doors, but the interior doors and windows. Huge heavy duty chains attached to metal rungs embedded in the walls 
of the home also were across different portions of the house. It looks like these chains were meant for, like, large, powerful guard dogs. Yeah, they're kind of wolves. Right? Odd things had been happening on the ranch, and the family had begun to come to discover that there was something just very odd about the land. A nephew came to stay with Terry's family, and so Terry decided to take him, along with their son, out on a tour of the ranch. So, here's what happened. It was after sunset when they decided to return back to the home. There was a, a distant fence line that they noticed had a set of what looked like headlights moving alongside it within the boundaries of the property. So Terry suspected people on his land were hunting without his permission. So he began chasing the headlights on foot. But as he did, it was like the distance between him and the headlights were growing. And also as he got closer, he noticed there was no sound of an engine or a machine. Finally, they were within 100 yards of these lights when they suddenly lifted off the ground and floated up over the distant treetops. Nope. Yeah. The lights continued in a straight line away from the guys before disappearing into the air. In autumn, these lights were frequent occurrences, especially when Terry began breeding his Angus cattle on the ranch. So it began to turn really serious because the activity began to intensify with the influx of his high-end livestock. So one evening during one of Utah's brutal snowstorms, Terry was on horseback searching for one of his prized Angus cows that had been missing for about 24 hours. He searched the whole ranch except an area outlined with trees. As he came across it, he saw the outlines of hoof prints and he became relieved that he finally was able to spot his prized cow. Yeah, you know, it's probably not going anywhere good, right? Studying the tracks, it looked as though she had been running at full tilt, which is full speed, as she had approached the tree line. Very strange behavior from a cow during a snowstorm unless she was spooked by something. This would not be the weather for a predator to be hunting in, so he didn't suspect that she was being chased by, like, a normal predator. And he could only see one set of tracks. Mm -mm. So he followed the tracks into an open clearing where the tracks stopped dead into nothingness. The cow was nowhere to be seen. It just, like, vanished into thin air. So over the winter, four more of his prized cows and bulls would disappear in a similar fashion. Terry began spending nights outside trying to find out what was happening to his cattle. He was never able to catch anything. However, the lights at this time were becoming very common. One night, he did catch a black mass hovering over the ground about 100 yards away from him. Nope. I know, right? (laughs) Don't like that. A comparison would be a slightly small, snub-nosed version of the F-117 Nighthawk. No idea what that is, but they, they threw that out as a comparison. I was like, sure. I'll just tell you that. Uh huh. <laughs> now I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Clear. Clear vision. <laughs> There's someone listening right now that's like, damn, that's a perfect description. <laughs> right? It was completely quiet and floating 20 feet above the ground very gracefully. So, not as like a large machine, but just like floating. And colored lights were seen coming from the bottom of the mass, swooping over the snow, seeming to search for something. Terry watched the unidentified craft for over 15 minutes but at this point he had become really cold and he was like hiding out in the woods so he stretched and when he did like his bones cracked (laughs) and (laughs) i'm so nervous yes i know so his bones cracked right and he knew right then and there that like somehow they were oddly like too loud like louder than normal and like i guess over like the distance and the silence the craft must have somehow heard this so it completely the craft heard the noise and shut off all the lights 
and then turned in his direction. Nope. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. And it turned and it sort of like searched for him, but without the lights. And then it eventually floated out of his sight. I'm okay. So I'm wondering, Terry. Come on, Terry. You've seen some strange shit at this point. Like, are you talking to friends about it? Are yeah. you Terry? <laughs> Let that cow go. <laughs> If I get a really good deal on some land, I go into the house and I see giant werewolf hooks, I'm leaving. <laughs> Again, let them damn cows go. Absolutely. Terry. Absolutely. Come on. Like, the second it would have shut off. And the fact that if you were at the point where you were hovering or you were hiding out in the middle of a field mm-hmm. trying to watch what is taking these things. And you know it's not a creature that you can handle or kill or trap. I'm sorry, but no. Right? Absolutely like, set up not. cameras. Terry, are you right? okay? Hire someone to do that. Why is are you Terry doing still that? alive? Is Terry still alive? Do we Terry, know? We gotta, we, we gotta talk. Terry, email us. Terry. Terry. Hashtag <laughs> save Terry. We have our email listed on the website. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. Terry. Terry. All right. So now it is spring. And the family had lost more cattle. Now, instead of just losing the cattle, they're reappearing instead of completely vanishing. This time, they were found dead from no obvious cause, or some were extensively mutilated. Shit. Yep. What's really odd about the mutilations is that there were huge portions of flesh carved out of the cattle, but there was no blood to be seen. Like as if they were drained of their blood beforehand. They were cut with precision instruments with surgical quality, and they weren't the natural mutilization you would see from, like, a predator. So, like, right. switch cheese again. Or even bloating, because, like, if you leave a cow out in the sun, it eventually it will blow. Yeah, and it'll kind of mm-hmm. explode, but it's, like, rough edges. Yeah, so, like, nothing natural about this. And what's crazy is you can actually watch documentaries about Skinwalker Ranch, and they will show you, like, the carcasses of the animals that they find mutilated, and it's creepy. <gasps> yeah, do it. Did you know that there was an episode of Ghost Adventures where they go to? I think I've seen it, but I don't remember if they like really caught it. Is this the time where we mentioned Zach? Yes, yes, it is. We have to at least one to, one time every episode. In. Thank you, Jerrica. We almost forgot. <laughs> Made it just in time. So I almost wrote up Skin Zach. Ew. I wonder what would have popped up. This no coming out of I know, right? <laughs> Throughout the year 1995, these lights that we talked about earlier appeared over the ranch almost every night. The family that owned this ranch was beginning to experience loads of stress, as, you know, you would think. Their cows are dying. So here's a direct quote from the YouTube video. Black, featureless entities began to appear, looking in through the windows of the house, and then later entering in the house. Nope. And standing at the end of the bed. Fuck that. So eventually this became so normal or common that the family ended up just sleeping all in one room together. Mm -mm. Move! Yep. Disembodied voices were speaking in unknown languages that seemed to be originating from the sky. Loud metal clinking noises, like railroad noises, were heard coming from underneath the ground. Sometimes it was so loud that even the neighbors of the ranch, who were like miles and miles away, could actually hear them. Terry. Terry woke up one day to find enormous precision cut holes dug into his land with no subsequent piles of dirt or earth found anywhere nearby. So, like, soil samples. Yeah, like, giant ones. So, again, hundreds of pounds of soil that were, like, silently removed from his land. Absolutely not. Orange lights, different from the ones that we had been seeing before, 
as they were stationary, these orange lights were, once appeared to Terry when he was on his porch, and it looked to be about a mile away. So this, this is, this blows my mind, you guys. When I was, like, reading this, I was like, what the fuck? So, he was out on his porch just chilling, watching these lights, as Terry does, because he's like, man, weird shit is happening. Yeah. What yeah. are these lights about? I don't feel like going out in the field right now. Yeah. 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 So, he's just out on his porch chilling. He saw this light, so he grabbed a nearby gun that had a high-power scope on it, and he looked through it to look at this light, and it looked like a portal with an opening in the center, Mm-mm. and in that portal on the other side was a blue sky nope. with clouds and shit. Mm-mm. Even though the sun where he was at had already set because it was nighttime. Absolutely not. Uh-huh. The portal-like ball of light became a common experience on the ranch as well, and Terry describes seeing odd-shaped vessels entering and exiting the opening. Mm-mm. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Terry, why are you still there? Terry, That's come your on. <laughs> yeah. Leave it. Bye. Right? The Navajos were correct. <laughs> I know, right? Like, mm I'm out. You dumbass white man need <laughs> yeah. to move. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Jeez. Lastly, he would see these blood-red tennis ball-sized orbs that would zip in and out of trees and over the land at extremely high speeds, seemingly to harass the livestock. It's kind of like the Marfa Lights. I was about to say that's mm-hmm. exactly what the Marfa Lights reminded me of because yeah. they were small balls of light that just kind of like moved around and you can never really get near one yeah they felt very mischievous exactly like we went and we saw them one time and like from my perspective it looked like it was like two miles away but from savannah's perspective it looked like it was like two feet in front of me mm-hmm. yeah. it literally some of them would look like you could reach out and grab them but it's like the closer you got the like further away it would be mm-hmm. it was crazy it was, i, I they were that. insane all right But it was a bad omen when he would see these larger blue orbs. They were so bad that he actually ended up nicknaming them the Blue Meanies. (laughs) Oh, Terry. (laughs) Terry, you little jokester. You should have hired us. (laughs) They could somehow instill extreme fear in those who got close to them. Apparently, Terry and Gwen feared the blue orbs more than anything else they witnessed on the ranch. And all because it just, like gave them that feeling yes what bad vibes i just love how you say terry terry Terry. it's a thing i just i've I've written a scene down so many times in this he was observing the lights one night out on his porch as he often did instead of moving Uh, yeah yeah instead of you know just being like this isn't normal (laughs) a blue light orb appeared and slowly made its way towards him Mm -mm. terry became overcome with anxiety and was immediately on guard. He was on guard, but he was still there. Just chilling. I don't get it, Terry. Okay, Terry. Okay, Terry. But, you guys, three of his hunting dogs were beside him. When they saw the blue orb, they began growling and barking uncontrollably. So, Terry, without really thinking, you know, too far ahead, he went ahead and set them loose, and they began to chase the orb back into the trees. Oh, oh no. Yeah. So he could hear them barking and chasing them into the trees where he could no longer see them. But out of the darkness, there were three pained yelps and then complete silence. (gasps) Terry was too scared to actually go out into the dark to, like, see what had happened to them. So he waited until morning. If Sprinkles or Donut, Mm -hmm. like, ran into the woods and made that noise be like hellfire oh yes i would never first of all even just like release my dog upon something so unusual anyway so the next morning he and his son found the three burned piles of flesh burning and like smoldering in the cool morning air so it was obviously their dog after two years of completely 
being mentally and emotionally tortured. Terry, finally, two years, Terry and Gwen could not take it anymore. So by July 1996, Terry and his family had sold and vacated the property. It is now owned by, I believe, researchers. But this is literally just the, like, very tip of the iceberg, you guys. did he move back to become, like, the main ranch hand there, too? He might have. I'm not exactly 100% sure. someone did. It might have been one of the researchers. Mm-hmm. Be yeah, I'm that. pretty sure now um, people who have purchased the land uh, literally have just purchased it not to, like, raise cattle or anything. Is it? Probably. Yeah. I'm pretty so. sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm re- remembering correctly, it's like... I think it is, too. But anyways, yeah, you guys, we got we got unidentified flying objects and orbs and lights and and animals can, disappearing into thin air and animals being like, mutilated. and, like, intelligence You know what's happening. a terrifying thought? What? Trump would technically be in charge of that portal. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. That would be scary, right? I mean, the other side of the portal sounded really pleasant, though. It was, like, sunny and bright. And... Yeah, well, what if that's, like, a, a thing that he, they planted in his brain to make him think that's what he saw? That it looked yeah. like... Or his oh, brain like, it has, like, a facade of something that looks safe and, like, it's calming. But octopus. then you walk in yeah. and you're, like, fucking on fire and, like, chained down. And... It's a bunch of giant spiders. <laughs> it's a hell dimension. <laughs> spiders. I mean, no. this is exactly why we just need to cover Skinwalker Ranch, like, on an entire episode and dive into weird, all like, the stuff. Um, weird, like, places that are, like, hotbeds for all kinds of shit. There is all, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm circling back to this Bridgewater Triangle. I'm so excited for this damn thing. We're probably doing that <laughs> leave next. It, leave it a secret. We're probably doing that next. Okay. Okay, good. Good. So, sounds good. Sounds good. So, yeah, I mean, that's my um, UFO or alien story for Skinwalker Ranch. Dope. Cool. Okay, Birdie, so what do you have for us? Okay, Uh, so I have Canada's Falcon Lake UFO, and my sources for this are Unsolved Mysteries, which is why I chose this case, because I remember this episode from when I was about seven. Mm -hmm. Always stuck with me. So it stuck with you, huh? Mm -hmm. And uh, CBC News Canada. In May 1967, Stefan McCulloch, I had to write that out. Um, an industrial mechanic and an amateur geologist hiked into the Falcon Lake woods to, sp- to prospect for quartz and silver. As Stefan was near a vein of quartz, a gaggle of nearby geese began honking and freaking the F out. He looked up and saw two cigar-shaped objects with a reddish glow hovering about 150 feet in the air. One descended and landed on a flat section of rock, at which point it took on more of a disc shape, so it condensed down. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The other in the air uh, remained in the air for a few minutes, but then flew off. Stefan believed the craft was a secret U.S. military experiment, so he sat back and he sketched it for over half an hour. Really? Shit. Yeah, it just sat there, doing nothing, <laughs> like a French girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when he decided to approach the UFO, he felt warm air and smelled sulfur, as well as hearing a whirling sound of motors and hissing air. He also noted a door open on one side with bright lights inside and said that he heard voices muffled by the sounds of the craft. Stefan called out, offering mechanical help to the Yankee boys, as they called it, which, that just makes my heart sing. Like, what a sweet man. Yeah. He's out there hiking by himself, trying to help people. The voices went quiet, but did not answer. 
So Stefan tried his native Polish, then Russian, and then finally German, but there were no responses. Oh my god, he he knew so many languages. Yeah, I'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pull those out of his hat. Right. Ah. He claims he went closer and noted the smooth metal of the ship with no seams. He then looked to the bright. He looked into the bright doorway. He pulled on his welding goggles. He brought those with him because mm-hmm. when he went mining quartz, he would chip it out, and he used the welding goggles to protect his eyes from anything popping mm-hmm. out. Inside, Stefan, or Stefan, I keep, I think I'm using both. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Either it's, one works. It's interchangeable. Exactly. It's like Urkel and Urkel. Yes. Same thing. Inside, uh, Stefan saw light beams and panels of various colored flashing lights, but could not see anyone or any living thing moving inside. When he stepped away, the three panels slid across the door opening and sealed it. He said it was seamless. Interesting. Like, it looked like liquid metal. Just. <gasps> mm-hmm. cool. He then reached yeah. out to touch the craft, which melted the fingertips of the glove he was wearing. What? Mm-hmm. The craft began to turn counterclockwise, and Stefan noticed the panel had contained a grid of holes. Shortly afterwards, he was struck in the chest by a blast of air or gas that pushed him backwards and set his shirt on fire. I'm mm. sorry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Disoriented and nauseous, Stefan stumbled through the forest and vomited. He eventually made his way back to the motel room at Falcon Lake and then caught a bus home to Winnipeg. He was treated at the hospital for burns to his chest and stomach that later turned into race sores in a grid-like pattern, which he lovingly referred to as his buttons. Oh. Yeah, I got pictures. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. The buttons eventually led to scars, which he carried with him his entire life. Stefan's son, Stan, later recalled, When I walked into the bedroom... There was a huge stink in the room, like a real horrible aroma of sulfur and burnt motor. It was all around. It was coming out of his pores, and it was bad. Okay, do y'all want to see pictures real quick? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Um, so here's a picture of his shirt. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's the drawing that he made while he was sitting there for 30 minutes. We'll post all these on the website. Those are his burn marks. Oh. This is a picture of him actually at the hospital. Okay. And that's all I have for right now. Okay. We'll go back, because I have a reveal down there. Ooh, okay. I'm scared. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Four weeks afterwards, Stefan suffered from diarrhea, headaches, blackouts, and weight loss, which are all signs of radioactive poisoning. Once the story was out, the RCMP, the Air Force, the media, various government agencies, and hordes of gawking members of the public descended upon the Malik's small house in Winnipeg. The attention brought a lot of scrutiny, but Stefan never backed away from his story. He also never claimed that that he had seen aliens and considered it a secret military craft up until his death in 1999. The UFO case was extremely unique due to the amount of evidence which was found that all corroborated his story. Oh, shit. Items were later retrieved from the encounter site, including Stefan's melted glove, the burnt shirt, which I showed y'all, with mm-hmm. the matching burn holes to his stomach, and some tools, all of which were subjected to extensive analysis in the RCMP line, crime lab, and no one could determine that what caused all the burns. At the uh, landing site which was where the circle had landed. Mm-hmm. There was uh, 15 feet in diameter, an area where no vegetation would grow. Sure. So where it landed, like nothing was growing around it. There was moss all around it, all around the rest of the rock, but not there. Hmm. Um, soil samples along with samples of clothing were tested and deemed to be highly radioactive. Oh, shit. Yep. So were pieces of metal that were chipped out of the cracks in the rock about a year after the incident. <laughs> The metal has somehow melted into the cracks. Mm. Yeah. Stan uh, McCulloch, which was Stefan's son, um, still has a piece of the metal, and it remains radioactive to this day. Ugh. I don't think I'd want that in my house. I don't want that to be like a beacon. Right? Oh, I mean, okay. even if it's not, just 
Don't let something Don't poison. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So on New Year's Day 2017, a UFO was seen by millions thanks to social media flying over Southern California. Do y'all remember it? Yeah. It showed up super early in the morning. The craft shape seemed to morph from cigar to flat disc back into a cigar shape. Wow. Uh, a press release by the Vandenberg Air Force and SpaceX dismissed the claim of aliens and said they were t- testing their newest aircraft, the Falcon 9. Oh. And this is the most famous UFO case, and it happened in Falcon Lake. Hmm. Yep. And that is a testament of Stefan or Steven. We call it. Damn. Yep. Buttons. Yeah, buttons. Yeah. So that's a spacecraft that <gasps> oh, was shit. in California. Oh, okay. Now I remember that. It took me a minute. That's a hunk of metal that they chipped out of the rock. Oh. And that's okay. him in his welding glasses. Oh, look at him. Because he's adorable. Stefan. Shit. Go back yeah. to that picture of the thing in Kelly. Yeah, there were videos and everything mm-hmm. of it, and it. Like, I I remember the videos. And... Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, there for a while they were trying to say that it was like an asteroid or something, but no, yeah. an asteroid doesn't jig jag like that either. Right, and like I would totally not put it past our government to be dicks about it and name it after this man's encounter right? with one yep. of their spaceships that got injured in some way and had to land for a little bit. Oh, absolutely, they would. Yeah. They're dicks like that. 100%. Okay, before I get started with our palate cleanser for this episode, I want to give a shout out to our social media. We have Twitter, we have Insta. It is all violent underscore delights underscore pod. So again, violent underscore delights underscore pod. Uh, You can also visit our website, which is violentdelightspodcast.com. We will be posting pictures on our website of everything we talk about, links to our social media, and just other fun shit. So, take a look at that. Can I also say, like, if you have ghost stories or anything creepy yeah, that you want to send us, I want to hear it. Absolutely. You can PM us on pretty much, I would say, like, Insta or, you know, of course, there's, on our website, there's a way to contact us, too. Yeah, so you especially can, like, if you've been to Skinwalker Ranch. Yo. Yeah, just weird shit. Yeah, give us some stories. Anything. That would be fun to do, like, a whole episode based on, like, listeners' stories, I think. Yeah. It would be really fun. Very treasure. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, guys. So, this week, I have a fun question for you. Oh, God. What is the worst fashion decision you have ever made? And please describe it. Ooh. Worst fashion decision. Oh, God, I have so many. I do, too. I was like, where do I start? I mean... I hit mm. 5'11 when I was about 14. So you were t- tall, to say the least, at 14. And I had no clothes that were built for a 5'11 person. Yep. <laughs> um, I'll just go over two. I was obsessed with stirrup pants. Yes. Oh my god! Like leggings, but they had to not. Yeah, so you could tuck them in and wear them with shoes, and they wouldn't ride up. But I was very tall, so I refused to get rid of them. So I just wore them with the stirrups out, <laughs> and I wore them with material-based clogs because I was obsessed <laughs> with clogs and my white socks and a handsome T-shirt mm. all the time. Pretty on brand, I feel. Yep, and then I had this pair of pants that my mom probably got from the from Goodwill, but I think they were originally from Hot Topic. They were, like, red plaid. Uh-huh. And they had, like, cuts in the side with chains on them, and I thought they were just, like, 
super cool. So edgy. Oh my god, how old were you when you were wearing those? Like 13, 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my older brother, Matt, would beg me not to wear them. I probably had like a camel toe or something because they were so tight and like all up in there. I remember them being super uncomfortable. And one day I was running around the car and our license plate was kind of bent out and it caught it and it like ripped it all the way up. And I still wore it to my Bible school class because I was like, I'm not changing. I'm not changing. I still want to look rad. Like I thought all day about this outfit. I have my Hanson shirt on. <laughs> this is a special occasion. Yeah. We're ready to rock and roll and so at that Bible class. I just kind of held it closed for the majority. <laughs> Everybody knew. How could you not? I was oh, a giant, know. and I had really big hair, fluffy and like a pyramid shape. <laughs> You are giving me the ultimate description right now. Yeah. Description. Well, and my friend Clarissa Garza tried to teach me makeup, and I'm very pale, and she was a very dark Hispanic girl, (laughs) and she put her makeup on me. Yeah. So you look dirty? So I looked dirty with my hair, and there's, like, ripped pants, and I still tried to keep them, and my mom threw them away. Which was a good good call, Kathy. Good call. <laughs> okay, so my worst fashion mis- well, I've had several, but I think the one that's most memorable for me was at age ten or eleven. And it was mostly because this was the age where I did not give a fuck. And I also just didn't really quite know what my identity was at the time. So I was still like tomboy, but I wanted to be girly, but I couldn't pull girly off. But do you guys remember that store that was like so 90s that it hurt in like all the malls it was called gadzooks yep please mm-hmm. tell me you guys remember yep. that yes yeah. okay so do you guys remember all the like shit that that store had in it like yes. the most 90s shit you could inflatable ever inflatable chairs yes oh my Those, god like, i things. was obsessed <laughs> so i would save up all my allowance money my mom would drop me off at the mall and i would go there immediately i found a pair of chunky shoes like sneakers they were like lace-up shoes but they were super chunky like super 90s that were holographic okay this is not where i thought this was no going. it probably still is because i thought those were the coolest shoes ever and i spent like all my money on them but i didn't think ahead to like pair them with anything cool so i wore them with my pair of jean overalls with a bright <laughs> ass like tie-dye like lime green shirt underneath And I specifically remember, like, going to school thinking I was, like, hot shit with my brand new holographic shoes. And people would, like, look at me and they're like, oh, nice shoes. And I was like, yeah, I know. I mean, looking back, I'm like... You know, maybe that that didn't fly in, like, Wellman, Texas. (laughs) But I think if you lived in Dallas, that would have been a look. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just... I, I... You're describing something that Lizzie McGuire would wear. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's kind of what I think I was going for, except I also did not know you how to do my like hair. The tiny sunglasses. Or the, the butterfly tiny clips. Ones. The little yeah. butterfly clips. Oh, fuck yeah. I was obsessed with those. Same. So I just remember those shoes, and I remember like just wanting to wear them with every outfit, but I could never find one that would work, so I just wear them with overalls. Damn. It's good. Yeah. Thing. What about yours, Jerica? Mine? <laughs> so you guys remember fucking low-riser jeans? Oh, of like, course. How, you know... It was just, <laughs> it was just the the redi- most ridiculous things. But I would love my fucking flare leg, low rise jeans, 
but I wasn't allowed to wear, so I'm the baby and the only girl. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup until I was 15. So, like, when I was finally able, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going all out. And, I d- of course, no one knows how to fucking do makeup nope. when they learn, when they first start doing makeup. You know, you get the little CoverGirl palettes, and you do all the colors in the palette, yep. and, like, you do a look with that. So, you know me and my matchy-matchiness started hella early. So, when I would wear those, I'd be like, at my school, we had um, dress codes. We had to wear, like, a collared shirt, solid collared shirt, and, like, whatever, bottoms or whatever. So, like, I'd be wearing, like, my low-rise jeans that are flare leg with, like, a white polo with, like, a maybe, like, an, a tank top underneath because mm-hmm. my yes. jeans are so low. I need a tank top to cover my <laughs> butt crack. Right. So, I would match my eyeshadow to whatever color tank top I had underneath. Oh. You know what? So, I mean, it was a look. You know, in theory, sounds fantastic. But, you know, maybe not having white on my brown skin, especially when I played outside a lot and my skin was darker. So I'm wearing this, like, high contrast. Oh, shit. Like white eyeshadow? Bright on my skin. Didn't make sense. I was awful. You know, no one does a straight eye line. No one does fucking Mm -hmm. mascara without getting mascara on their eyelid. It was just a hot mess. And then, of course, like, my hair is, like, again, I'm, like, the only black girl in any of my classes and whatnot so I've like stick straight hair that I've straightened my hair is not straight I have very (laughs) thick curly hair and so I have that stick straight hair and it's like I have a big forehead so naturally I should have bangs at that point didn't have bangs (laughs) so there was just a lot going on yeah my forehead was so shiny and it was probably because (laughs) I had this white eyeshadow on my fucking eyes that like made everything else just turn up the fucking reflectors I love this it was awful. And I look at my pictures, and I'm like... And it's crazy, too, to, like, look back at all those photos and think, like, at that time, you thought you were hot shit. But the oh, thing, the thing yeah. a couple years after that, I started working at Old Navy and Gap, and I was like, bitch, I was, like, on it. I got fine, like, stumbled into my look, but then I look at those pictures, and I'm like, no, that no. ain't it. That ain't <laughs> it. All right. So I think that about wraps up this episode. Yeah, that was fun. I really enjoyed learning all these new things about buttons and fucking Terry. <laughs> Terry. 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 Why did he stay there for two years, Terry? Damn. Why? That's so dumb. Don't be like Terry. Don't. But stay Don't. inside your house. What yeah. a segue. Yes, look at that. You guys. COVID. Stay safe. Stay yeah. home. We'll hopefully be throwing more episodes your way soon. Follow us on all of our socials. We'll Please do. Until then, see yeah. you. See you next time. Bye. Bye.